I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, I actually want to read a few verses for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And what I want you to hear here is one way that the Apostle Paul describes his experience as a minister of the gospel. In this passage, he says that his time of serving Christ has been marked by extreme labor, frequent imprisonments, countless beatings, and that he has often been close to death. He says this, and let me just read for you from 2 Corinthians 11. He says, Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's a lot. At first, I thought I was reading about my own home and what the boys do to each other. Beatings and stonings, but, but no, seriously, like, this is a lot right? All things that Paul experienced because of his commitment to Christ in the gospel. So when we read in other parts of the Bible that Paul has suffered, it's not that he's being dramatic. It's not that he's exaggerating. No, in fact, to say, just simply for Paul to say, I have suffered for the sake of the gospel, actually, after reading that, it seems like an understatement, Right? Suffering for us is being in traffic. No, when Paul says he suffered, there's, there's substance to that. And the reason I bring that up this morning is because as we've been going through 2 Timothy, remember he's calling Timothy now to follow in his footsteps. Paul's in prison. He's about to be killed for his faithfulness to the gospel. And this letter is a passing on of the torch. He's calling Timothy to carry on the work. And we've heard this over and over and over now. Things like, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering, Timothy. And it just keeps coming up. Join me in suffering. We saw it last week in chapter 2, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This is Paul's appeal to Timothy. Be faithful, and if suffering comes, then Share in the suffering. If you're with us last week, you remember that he, he gives this command to share in suffering, and then he gives Timothy some examples of what he should be like as he walks through this ministry full of suffering. He says, first, be like a soldier. If you're with us last week, we talked about a soldier being single-minded and, and focused. He says, be like an athlete, someone who's dedicated and who competes according to the rules. Be like a farmer who works hard and is committed to reaping a harvest. This is Paul's appeal to Timothy. 
be dedicated, be focused, persevere. And yes, there will be suffering, but, but keep going. And we read this, we think, okay, Timothy, share in suffering, man. And yet Timothy, he knows what Paul's been through. And yet he hears Paul saying, be a soldier, be an athlete, be a hard-working farmer. That's what we focused on last week, which is an important message. It was an important message for me to hear. Just this call to faithful, steadfast endurance and ministry. But I told you last week that the text keeps going, and so I was anxious to get to this week because last week we were told, go, share, be a soldier, be an athlete, be a farmer. But the question is, well, what motivates that, right? What's the, what's the heart behind it? What's the why behind it? Why would Paul suffer those things? Why would he endure so much? And why would he ask Timothy to do the same? This morning, we're going to consider the heart and the theology that should drive us and should enable us to be committed soldiers and dedicated athletes and hardworking farmers for the sake of the gospel. What we're going to see this morning is that Paul wasn't just suffering for the sake of suffering, and he's not calling Timothy to suffer for the sake of suffering, but Paul wants him to know, he's reminding him here in our text this morning, there is something worth suffering for. And so Paul is going to be sharing with Timothy the things that he focused on, what drives him, what motivates him, what would compel him to do these things so that Timothy would then have these things to cling to. And, of course, these are things that we need as well. If we're going to be faithful to do the work of God, we should hear and consider these things. And they should encourage us in our efforts for Christ. So that's where we are and where we're headed. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 8. Hear the word of God. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So here's the question again. What motivated Paul to keep going and suffering the way he did? We read about everything he went through. Why did he keep going? And why would he call Timothy and by extension call us to walk the same kind of path? What was Paul focused on? And what would he want Timothy and us to focus on? We see the first thing in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. 
risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. If you, if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school, you know, you could just sit there and just kind of be wherever you were, kind of like some of you are now, just kind of wherever you are, your mind's running. But then you, your, your, your ears are perked to questions, right? There's a question. We're supposed to answer it. And what do we say? We don't even know the question. Jesus, right? You know, you know, you know. We laugh. But 90% of the time, it works. Even if it wasn't the answer they were looking for, it's still, we can get there. And that's the first answer today. And I just want to encourage you to consider that it's not just a good Sunday school answer, but it's the right answer. What should motivate us to do unbelievably hard things for the sake of the gospel. Here's how we endure. Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. The only way we can persevere in the Christian life, especially when difficulty comes, is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. If we forget him, if we take him out of all of this, we have nothing left, nothing firm, no good foundation. The reason we come together, the reason we have hope, the reason we would do hard things for God is because of Jesus. Paul's calling Timothy to press on, and this is his encouragement. Remember Jesus. Now, so here's the question I asked. Was Timothy actually at risk of forgetting Christ? And, and I think the answer is no. Timothy has been in ministry for years. He's a pastor of a church. It's not a matter of forgetting. But I do think it's a matter of focus. Because I think Timothy's a lot like us, which means he could be tempted to think too little of Jesus. And by that, I mean two things. He could not think of him frequently enough, and he could not think enough of him. He could think too little of Jesus. And maybe you're tempted at times to do the same. He could be tempted to rely too little on Jesus. To try to do the things that God has called him to do in his own strength. We talked about that last week. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The only way Timothy can remain committed to the work, the only way Timothy can endure the suffering that's coming is to keep his eyes and his heart fixed on Christ. Be a good soldier, Timothy. Be an athlete. Be a hardworking farmer. And here's how you do it. Here's how you persevere. Here's how you keep doing the things that God has called you to do. Remember Jesus Christ. And I do wonder, I was thinking this week, I wonder if it's implied here. Timothy, remember the suffering of Christ? Christ suffered and so will you. You are called to sacrifice and Christ came and made the greatest sacrifice. Do you remember the, the first part of Hebrews 12? Where we're called to run the race with endurance? Do you remember what he tells us should motivate that, that, in, that endurance? Hebrews 12, starting in verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, in 2 Timothy, he doesn't explicitly point Timothy to that aspect of Christ. But I do wonder if it's implied here, right? Timothy, as you're going into suffering, remember Christ, the one who suffered first. What we see for sure here is that Paul points out two things about Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, and then he gives us two things to focus on. First, remember that Jesus is alive. Remember Jesus Christ, verse 8, risen from the dead. Remember that he's finished the work that he came to do. Not only did he come, not only did he die, but he rose in victory. The work of salvation that needed to be done, he did it. He defeated sin and death. He finished the work of salvation. Focus on that. Christ is risen. He has done what needed to be done. Timothy, remember this. Of course, what we know is without the resurrection, then our faith is somewhat futile. Isn't that what Paul actually says? In 1 Corinthians 15, I'll read it for you. He says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Four, if the dead are not raised, then even, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, here's the key part here. Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to most be, of all people most to be pitied. Remember Jesus Christ, Timothy, that he's risen. And with that, we have all of this. Because he's risen, I'm forgiven. Because I'm risen, there is salvation. Because I am risen, those who die in Christ will rise again. That's the motivation, isn't it? That, that we have Christ and we have what he's done for us. And yet, we are so inclined to segment him off as a small part of our lives and what Paul is calling Timothy to is be willing to give it all. And when all seems like too much, remember Jesus Christ. Remember that he has risen from the dead. Which means that we too can have resurrection. It changes everything, doesn't it? Because every one of us and every person we know will die. What's bigger than that? It's a hope that I cling to last Sunday afternoon when I was about to go to the hospital to see a friend and then I received word that he was with Christ. What do we cling to in moments of that, like that? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead right? And we know, yes, we have that hope. We cling to that hope. And yet this is the message that we've been called to share so that others have the same hope. So 
Why would we suffer? Why would we soldier and athlete and farm? Because Christ is risen. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. I won't spend as long trying to flesh out all the implications of that, but what we see is Paul emphasizing that Jesus is the one whom God had promised. He came in the fulfillment of the promises. He is the Messiah. I think when we're told that he is the offspring of David, it's also a reminder to us that Jesus was fully man. You know, he's fully God, but he also came as a man with flesh and blood, suffering as we suffer. And because of that, he was qualified to be the sacrifice we needed, to die in our place. This is the gospel we believe, that Christ, fully God and fully man, died so we can have forgiveness, eternal life. And we believe that if anyone who repents of their sins and trusts in him will be saved, this is the message that we have, and this is the message that Paul suffered for. This is the message that got him imprisoned, and this is the message that he's telling Timothy to, to take and to preach. And if Timothy's going to be faithful, if he's going to endure suffering, Paul says, here's where it starts. Remember Jesus Christ. It's true for us as well. This probably could have been the message. It won't be. Remember Christ. And, and if, if, that, if you need something to hang on to and take away this morning, remember Christ. Without a clear and continual vision of Jesus and what he has done, we have no hope of living the Christian life well. It's only by looking to Christ that we have any hope of overcoming indwelling sin. It's only by looking to Christ that we can endure loss and grief. It's only by looking to Christ that we can be of any help to those around us who are suffering. It's only by looking to Christ that we will recognize that the gospel is, in fact, worth our lives. So this is where Paul begins. He tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. And then a second thing to remember. Remember the, the power of the gospel. Look at verse, we'll start in verse 8 again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. We've said it every week over and over. Paul's in prison. And yet here we get a little more insight into the situation. Not only is he a, a prisoner in Rome, but he adds some color to the story. He's bound with chains as a criminal. And I think as long as I've read this passage, the, the part that kind of pops for me um, is he's in chains. And we think about just like how uncomfortable that would be. It's one thing to be in a jail cell. Woo, Texas. One thing to be in a jail cell. It's another thing to be chained to the wall. Just the discomfort of that. The rest how restrictive that is. But something I learned this week was, was this, that when he calls himself a criminal, 
it, that's actually a word that has a lot of weight. Because for us, we, we may call anyone who got arrested a criminal. For them, criminal, it's, it's more than a lawbreaker. In fact, there's only one other place in all the New Testament where this word is used, and it's used to describe the two men who were on either side of Christ. He died between two criminals, men who had done things deserving of death. And this is the category that Paul puts himself in. He's bound in chains. Why? Because he's a criminal. A man who has done something deserving of death. And the reason, the charge, is the preaching of the gospel. So he's in chains. He's restricted. But then he says this at the end of verse 9. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not in chains. The word of God has not been restricted. And I think this is the second thing that, that Paul wants Timothy to remember. Yes, they can arrest me and chain me up. And yes, they can arrest you and chain you up. But no one can ever bind or imprison the word of God. No one can ever bind up the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's, he's encouraging Timothy to remember the power of the gospel. Think about Romans 1. You could probably quote it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The, the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is powerful, and it cannot be stopped. Which means for Paul and for Timothy, even if they take our lives, the gospel goes forward. Even if we're in chains and we can't go where we want to go, the gospel goes and this is Paul's encouragement to Timothy, and it should be an encouragement to us. Even if we're limited in our capacity or our reach or our ability, the gospel's not limited, so be faithful. Timothy gets this letter. He's only halfway in. And perhaps already he's thinking, there's no way. The calling is too big. And yet here's the encouragement. The gospel will prevail. They may kill us, but the gospel will prevail. When it comes to sharing the gospel, we have temptations, don't we? Uh, I don't know enough. I'm not sure it's the right time. I don't know the right thing to say. Can I just give you this reminder from this, the word of God? The gospel is where the power is. It's not in your ability. It's not in your intellect. It's not in your, your debate ability. It's not in your right timing. It's not in the, the perfect environment or the right setting. The power is in the gospel. And Paul recognizes as frustrating as it would be to be to a wall and knowing that you're probably going to die earlier than physically you would have lived, it's okay. The gospel is not bound. It's a truth that Paul uses to encourage Timothy in his own faithfulness. And we see that this is what gave Paul boldness. You know, he could have been strategic, perhaps. Or, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm going to do it quietly, Right? I'm going to try to do it this way because if I do it this way, then I won't get killed. If I do it this way, I won't go to prison. And yet we see that this gives Paul boldness. I will be faithful. I will do what I've been called to do. 
and trust that even if they chain me up, even if they kill me, the gospel will do its work. Look what he says in verse 10. This brings us to the third thing. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So go back to the beginning and think about everything we read in 2 Corinthians, all the ways Paul suffered, all the hardship he faced. The question is, why would he keep going? Why would he push on? And we get the answer here. He says, because the gospel is powerful, therefore, I will endure everything for the sake of the elect which is huge. This is where we see the heart of Paul and what motivates him. He says, for the sake of the elect, which is a way of saying, I will do it for the sake of those whom God is going to save. Paul has this burden. There are those who need to hear the gospel. There are those who need salvation that's in Christ Jesus. And for their sake, so that they can be saved, I will endure all that stuff. Shipwrecks, beatings, lashes with a whip, stones to the head, time at sea, shipwrecked and lost, sleepless nights, daily pressures. I do it all for the sake of those who God will save. Paul knows that God has a plan for saving people, and this is his plan. How does God save people? Through the hearing of the gospel. Paul knows this is the means. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, here's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. And how do we hear? How are, the, how are the, our ears open and our hearts opened? Through the word of Christ. People must hear. The word must go out. The gospel must go out. God gives faith and saves people through the hearing of the gospel. And Paul knows this is our responsibility. And so he says, for that reason, I will endure everything. I love what this verse tells us about the heart of Paul for the lost. And of course, we're not reading the Bible well if we don't slow down long enough to ask ourselves the question, what are we willing to endure for the sake of the lost? Do we even think in those terms? Maybe we do think about our, the need of those around us and our responsibility, but if anything makes it hard, we are quick to back off. This is where the example of Paul is helpful. He's willing to endure all kinds of suffering and hardship, even to the point of death, because he longs for them to obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus to eternal glory. Do you see that at the end? The way he describes the results of salvation. It's salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Not only are we forgiven, but we have the hope of being glorified, made perfect, and living in the glory of God for all eternity. Eternal glory. So here's Paul saying, temporary suffering for the sake of eternal glory? I will endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they can receive that kind of salvation. Think about 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, 
but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that, this is key, we're giving ourselves over to death so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work at us and life in you. This is how Paul viewed his life and his ministry. I'm dying so that you can live. The question is, have we ever thought that way about our own lives? That we are willing to give up everything so that others can have this hope. This is what he's telling Timothy. This is what he should cling to. Remember that Christ is risen from the dead. Remember that the gospel is powerful and cannot be stopped. Remember the need for the proclamation of the gospel. And then as we come to the last three verses, we have some gospel promises and warnings that Paul wants Timothy to know and to cling to, and that should motivate his work. These are verses that have fascinated me for a long time, and I thought it might be a whole other sermon, but we're just going to do it here pretty quickly. Verse 11, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So we get in this phrase, and in your Bible, it's probably kind of set in a kind of a poetic setting structure. Some have suggested that it's a, an ancient hymn that had been passed down, uh, a catechism-type question that had been handed down and memorized, and, and that could be true. Regardless of whether or not Paul wrote it or, or it was handed down to him, what we do see is he says, this is a trustworthy saying, which is a way of saying, Pay close attention to this, Timothy. And it has two parts or two halves. The first half are promises for those who are faithful. And the second half are warnings for those who reject Christ. The promises first. It's a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now, if you just look at the cross-references in your Bible, you're going to see about 15 passages probably that are referred to because this is common language in the Scripture, this idea of dying with Christ so that we can live with Christ. The first one that came to my mind was Romans 6. In particular, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's important imagery. It's the imagery that we, that we think of when we, we see someone baptized, that we spiritually have died with Christ. And now spiritually we are raised to, to new life, so we walk with him, alive in him. It's the same thing Paul's talking about in Galatians when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. It's a beautiful reality. We have died with Christ. We are now alive in him, which means we don't have to stay in our sin. Spiritually, we have died, and spiritually we have been raised, which is a true and blessed reality. And yet I don't think it's exactly what he's saying here. Yes, those of us who are in Christ have died with him, but the living with him, I think he's talking about it, it's a future tense. Not we're spiritually alive now, but we will live with him forever. Those who have died with him will live with him. Future, eternal life. And just think about what that would have meant for Timothy. When Paul's essentially saying here, go die, my friend. But if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Not that if you're martyred, you go to heaven, but if you have spiritually died with Christ, then you will physically and spiritually live with him forever. That's what Paul acknowledges in 1 Thessalonians 5. Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here's something else I would hope that you would leave with this morning. A reminder of the eternal nature of, of what we believe, right? We believe that we will live forever. And if we can get our minds around that, it really should change so much of how we live and function, what we prioritize, what we value, what we give our time and our resources to. In a few minutes, we will share of the Lord's table, and I will say what I say every time we come to the table, that through faith we share in his death, and we claim the promise that we will also share in his resurrection. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. And in the other part of that, the, 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 of that first half, it's a parallel statement. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now, this is where we could spend quite a bit of time. Let me just state it. This verse is not about our ability to maintain or keep our salvation. The scriptures are clear. If you're in Christ, we sang it, he will hold you fast. So this isn't about our, if we work hard enough, if we endure. No, that's promise to all who are in Christ. What this is talking about is the fact that all those who are in Christ will, in fact, endure. You see, it's kind of, it's, if you're in Christ, you will endure. And so all those who are saved and who God enables and to endure, they will reign with him. We see the goal in the second part of the verse. It's this motivation to Timothy. Be who you are in Christ and know that you have this hope. You will reign with him. We have confidence beyond this life. We have hope beyond this life. And for Timothy, what a sweet promise as he looked face, looked death in the face, perhaps. If I die with him, I will live with him. If I endure, I will reign with him. These are gospel promises that Timothy could cling to. 
that should be motivating. But then there was also the other side of the coin, these warnings. Verse 12, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Again, for those who are truly in Christ, this isn't a warning of losing your salvation. But it is an encouragement to, to consider a warning that if we reject Christ, we don't have salvation. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Serious warnings. And, and my temptation is to try to soften it somehow. And yet we should probably just let the warning be the warning. We could talk about Peter. Didn't he deny Christ? And so we recognize that there, this is talking about something significant, a rejection of Christ. If we deny him, he denies us. If, if, if you don't trust Christ, you have no hope. And then he says kind of the same thing in verse 13. If we are faithless, if we don't have faith, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And here's where I spent a lot of time this week because at the face of this, it seems like an encouragement. If we lack some faith, he's faithful, so trust him. And that's how I kind of always read it. And yet, as we see the structure here, promises in the first half and warnings in the second, I think this is probably the right interpretation. We can argue over lunch. If we have no faith, God is faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to himself. He cannot deny himself, which is to say he is righteous and just, and he will punish all those who do not come to him in faith. If we do not have faith, he will do what he has said he will do. If we deny him, he will also deny us. It's a warning. Yet it's a warning that's meant to encourage Timothy to faithfulness. First, don't give up, Timothy. Don't deny him. Keep going. But also, probably built into this, Timothy, there are people who, if they reject Christ, will be denied by him. Right? So take that message. Be faithful with that message. Give them the hope of eternal life. And save them from the penalty of rejection. It's a good encouragement and reminder for us. There's a really, really, really good chance that you will not die because of your faith. But every one of us should recognize that we've been called to give our lives for the sake of the gospel. How do we encourage that in ourselves? Four things. And these are things that, church, I would just encourage you, and maybe you would take the notes that I've given you and just spend some time thinking about these four things this week. You could do them all at once each day. You could take one Monday, one Tuesday, one Wednesday, one Thursday. You can have Friday off. Just take some time to consider these things. Maybe you would spend time on Monday of this week remembering the reality that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and all the implications of that. I think it would change the way you live on Monday. 
you spent Monday remembering Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Maybe on Tuesday, you would take time to remember the power of the gospel. That even though we are limited, the gospel is not limited. And so I may stumble through my proclamation, or I may be limited in capacity or reach, but I trust that if I am faithful with the gospel, God can use his word in ways that I would not imagine. Maybe you would take Tuesday to, to, to meditate and remember the power and the reach of the gospel. On Wednesday, perhaps you would take time, I would encourage you to take time to remember the need for the proclamation of the gospel, to consider Paul's example that he was willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect. And we should ask God to give us this kind of heart, a heart that longs for the salvation of others, and we should long to give ourselves to taking the message to those who need to hear. If you want something on Friday, you can split up the promises and the warnings. I should give that a suggestion. But take time this week to consider this promise. If we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will reign with him. And I hope you would take time this week just to rejoice over the fact that because of Christ, we have eternal life. There is hope beyond this life, friend. There is hope beyond this life. And I think your Thursday would be different if you took time to really consider that carefully. We should also consider the warning that those who deny Christ and those who live without faith will be denied and they will face the judgment of God. And that should be a sobering warning to us as we check our own hearts and it should compel us to want to ensure that we warn those around us. I pray that as we consider these things, God would transform us that we would become like Paul, willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray.